almost done here. Well, next to last day, not counting the final, however you want to look at it that way. So, due today, okay, we have a quiz, which I apologize, I actually closed out yesterday morning, but it's reopened and it's still available through tomorrow morning. I normally, it was supposed to be due Tuesday, but since I wasn't here on Monday, I like to give you that last warning. And trying to give Professor King 30,000 things to try to remember for the class is harder than just take care of this and not worry about it. So the quiz is reopened. It is good. You can take it anytime through 6 o'clock tomorrow morning if you have not already. So you do have that. Solar Observations Project is due today. Um, you can submit it online. I know a bunch of you turned it in already. You can submit it online. If you don't have a good, you can always photograph. If you need to get the charts, the graphs, you can either turn them in now, although you want to keep a copy so you can at least write up your analysis. If you haven't, you might want to be able to refer to them. If you need to make a photocopy of them, I can take them downstairs after class and we can photocopy them. If you don't want to try to get those submitted digitally, if you have no problem submitting them digitally, that's perfectly, perfectly fine. But if you want to be able to have me photocopy them, we can do that after class and I can hold on to those. That way, that part of it isn't late. You can submit any parts of it uh, online up till 6 o'clock tomorrow. And then on Friday, we have potentially quiz 8. Just really depends on how much we get to. I want to make sure we get through. We'll have to finish chapter 17, and I have to get through certain parts of chapter 18 that I want to cover for the final. If I run out of time, then I'll give you the quiz with the final. So. Oh, goodness, am I cruel. This is the, this is the easy. This is an easy quiz. This is an easy quiz. A couple people already know what it's going to be, pretty much, because they've taken the class before. My last quiz, I give you the list of the planets, and I have you put them in order. From the distance, from Mercury out to Neptune, and Pluto. I leave Pluto in it. I even leave Pluto in it. There's 12 objects in there you've got to put, you put together. I also put, in this case, because it's stellar astronomy, you also get one star and one galaxy. And I hope you can tell me which of those is further away. If it's a galaxy and a star, I hope you know which one is closer to us. Is a star closer or a galaxy? Which one do you think is? Come on. Yeah. So there'll be a total of 12 objects, but the sun is one. There's eight planets in Pluto. So that makes 10. And then there's one star within our galaxy and one other galaxy, which is going to be the furthest. So I want everybody to get a 12 out of 12 on it. But I like that if you take an astronomy class, that at the end you can at least list the planets in order. So one thing that you can do. But you know exactly what the quiz is going to be, so that should be a perfect score. If not, I will give you it with the final exam. So either way, you're going to get it, but you know exactly what it is. If we have time on Friday, I'll do it. If we run out of time, then I'll hold it off till the final. Homework is still due on Friday slash Saturday morning. And the iTunes quiz will also be up and available starting on Friday. And you can take that any time through the day of the final exam. So it'll cut off on. Thursday morning. Our final exam is on Wednesday. We will cut that off Thursday morning so you can even finish the final exam and then go take a quiz if you really want to. So, two quizzes do get dropped at the end. So, there's a total of 14 quizzes, 14, 12 quizzes? Yeah, whatever. 12 quizzes, two of them get dropped. So, there's only the top 10 scores count. You missed a quiz, you did really bad on one, it will get dropped after I put these two in. So, that will help. And then, final exam, one week from today. How's that for scary, right? One week from today, <laughs> one week from right now, you'll be taking the final. And I will give you an information sheet on that on Friday. I have a sheet I'm writing up that I will put together to tell you exactly what the final is going to be. Are we going to have a study guide of some sort for the final? Or I've given you a study guide for every chapter. Yeah. 
Oh, so use them all. You can use them all if you like. Yes. I'll be here early. If anybody wants to come up early, I'll be happy to answer questions before it. Other than what the specifically is on the final, but. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get get started with the rest of this then. So that's what we have left. Picture of the day for today. Unfortunately, not comet Ison, which didn't survive. It's close passage around the sun. It is now falling apart. Yes. First it didn't, then it did, now it didn't. Now it did not. It took a couple days for them to really be able to be sure because it started to brighten again and now it's already fading off really quick. So, Unfortunately, you're not going to get a nice view. This is Comet Lovejoy, which is actually in the morning sky as well right now. It's visible to the naked eye if you've got a really, really dark sight, sort of at the edge of your vision. Uh, nicely visible through binoculars or that though or such. So it is nicely visible. It approaches the sun closest, and I looked it up right before, what was it? Two and a half weeks from now, but it's moving away from the Earth at the same time. It doesn't get real close to the sun, unlike Ison, which was really within a solar diameter, really close. This one gets in about as close as the Earth's orbit. So no danger that it's going to break up. It's not getting anywhere near the sun, but that also means it's not going to get as bright. It's not going to get any brighter. So it's not going to be a bright and a beautiful, beautiful sight to see, as Comet Ison would have been if it had survived. And the nicely framed picture is just looking through uh, the remains of a uh, castle in Sweden. So just sort of nicely framed, framed there. Comet Ison, here it is. I pulled up an image of it. This is after it uh, pulled around the sun. This is images from November 28th, right after. And first it came in and it disappeared. It wasn't coming back out. That's when they thought it broke up completely. And then a little later they did find it. And it was there and it was bright. But what they've been seeing now over the next couple days, I think this is November the 30th, you can see how it's just fading. So it looks like it completely broke apart and sort of disintegrated and just those particles are now getting spread out. So instead of being concentrated as they were back here, it's just getting more and more spread out. So it'll still be there, but it's not going to be bright and easily visible to the eye. All the particles are just going to be spread out over a much wider area. So unfortunate, hoping that we get a chance to see that nice comet this coming month. But who knows, maybe next year. There's, there's more coming. The comet Lovejoy that we looked at for the picture was only discovered a couple months ago. So who knows what might be discovered in the coming in the coming weeks. So we may find we may find another one. Maybe there'll be something else nice nice coming. All right. Questions? No, no. When's Halley supposed to return? Halley, let's see, it was the eighties, twenty fifties, twenty fifties something. Yeah, mid twenty fifties. You got you still got a few you got a few years to few years to wait. All right. Well, let me put this up here. Hopefully the machine doesn't decide to argue with me today as it decided as it wanted to last week. Um, oh, I also I did, I did give back exams, so if you came in later, I can get you that after class. And I didn't make any further adjustments. I know the average was lower than I thought. I'm going to leave it and see what happens with the finals. And I'm, what I might do is expand my rounding. Usually I say you have to be within a half a percent. I may look a little bit further in the rounding because the exam. So instead of giving you specific points on it, I'll see if it, if it really makes any difference in your grade. I'll take that into account at the end.
So instead of just adding points on here, I'm going to look at what it does at the end. Because if you end up with an 85 or an 84, it doesn't matter. If you end up with a 79.8 or a, you know, a 79.3 or an 80.2, it makes a difference in your grade. So I'm going to look and maybe expand out what I'm looking at, at there. So I do want to let you know on that. I did not add anything extra to it. I started looking through the questions, but there was no pattern that these six or eight questions were really hard. It was just spread out across the whole thing. So there was really no pattern to, to, what, to what was missed, unfortunately. All right, so we were talking about the Big Bang a uh, week, week ago when, we, when I last met with you. And what we were looking at was we looked at the expansion, looking at the universe is expanding. Everything is moving away from everything else. If everything's expanding, we can trace them backwards, right? Trace them backwards, and we can get, you know, this point that everything, all the galaxies, all the stars would have been at one point and would have been what we call the Big Bang. Where did this occur? It's everywhere. So it's not just an explosion. You can't think of the Big Bang as an explosion. It's really quite different than that because the Big Bang wasn't an explosion within space. It's an explosion that created space at the same time. So before the Big Bang, what was before the Big Bang? Well, nothing. It's not like there was space and the Big Bang expanded into it. When the Big Bang exploded, it was creating space and time all at once. And it occurred everywhere. So right where we are right now, that's where the Big Bang occurred. A hundred light years away, that's where the Big Bang occurred. A million, a billion. All of that is where the Big Bang occurred all at once. It starts to get a little hard to try to imagine. And I understand, I understand that. I mean, it's not a very easy concept to be able to, to understand. And we'll look at a couple examples. But what I'm going to start off, why I didn't put this full screen, is that I have a little video clip I'm going to show you first. Uh, the astronomer talking and trying to give you a little bit of an introduction and give you an idea about the Big Bang. Then I'll look about, at a few more, few more details here. So let me pull this up first of all. Okay. So. Give you a little bit of, try to give you a little bit more of an explanation. Probably doesn't clear up a lot of things, but give you an idea that there really was not an explosion of that within space as we typically think of an explosion. So it was quite different, quite different than that. The last part of this again, I went over this on Wednesday, just really says that the Hubble constant. It doesn't matter who's making that measurement. Yes, where we measure ourselves, every galaxy is receding from us. That doesn't mean we're at the center of the universe. Sounds like it, right? Every galaxy is moving away. We must be at the center. But you could go measure this from a distant galaxy billions of light years away, and they're going to get exactly the same measurements. Every galaxy is moving away from them. Now, how can we explain that? Well, here's an example. If you were to take a balloon and stick a bunch of coins to it, right, and then blow it up, you got to get them to stick there pretty well. But the coins themselves aren't going to change in size. It's one reason you do the coins instead of drawing like little pretty galaxies on it. You can do that, but if you do that, then the galaxies inflate too when you inflate the balloon. And that does not happen. The galaxies really stay the same size. But it really doesn't matter whether you're on the coin in the middle here. If you're on this one, every galaxy is getting further away. Every galaxy is getting further away. But also, if you looked at this one, Nobody's getting closer to this galaxy. You know, here's the closest galaxy. It's this far away, this far away. No matter which galaxy you select, every other galaxy is getting further away from you. There's also no center. 
There is, yeah, in the center of the balloon. But if your if your universe that you are stuck to is the surface of this balloon, which would be like our universe, think of our universe that way as this this would be a two-dimensional version of our universe that if you're stuck on this surface, there's no center. You can go around wherever you want. You can travel around this around this balloon, but if you're stuck on the surface and cannot leave it, cannot launch off the moon, launch off the balloon, cannot go inside the balloon, there's no center. So there is no center of the expansion that you would ever be able to detect. And we often think of our universe in this way as multiple dimension, except instead of it being a two-dimensional surface, it would be a three or a four-dimensional surface turned into another dimension. So we could be a three-dimensional universe expanding out into a fourth dimension that we cannot see and cannot visualize because we can't imagine it. right? If you're on the two-dimensional surface, when you go down a dimension, you can sort of make the, you can sort of begin to understand a little bit. But you're not going to be able to picture, if you can, that's great, but I haven't, I haven't been able to, to be able to picture what that fourth dimension looks like because we can't see it. Okay? Each dimension is perpendicular to the others, right? So if you look at two dimensions on a piece of paper, you know, you got one, you got going up and down and you got going left and right. And you can imagine a third dimension coming in and out of the paper. Well, now you've got those three dimensions, you need a fourth one that's perpendicular to this direction and this direction and that direction all at the same time. Can you imagine it? Only one line. Only one more line. Just take another line. You want to draw this line. Here's one line. Those two are perpendicular. You can imagine a third one coming in and out of the board. Can you imagine a fourth? You can't. I mean, maybe you can, but... Without, it can't be diagonal. It's got to be exactly 90 degrees to each of these. Ang- each of these. Yeah. To all three of them at the same time. Yeah. Came in perfectly but then it's a diagonal. It's not going to be a 90 degree angle. It's t- it's t- you can't really imagine it. I mean, you can do this and you can imagine the third one. But if you were a little creature stuck in the blackboard, could you imagine that? If you're a little creature stuck here, and all you can see is in this two-dimensional world, can you imagine anything that's out of this? Where some creature, someone could look down and see your insides. So it would be like, if we looked into it, then we could see yeah. all the way If you could go out into this four-dimensional universe and look back down on ours, Everybody would be wide open. You know, you'd be able to see your intestines, your innards would be wide open, visible. That's sort of like looking down on this. <coughs> Creepy, huh? Would, would it be great if you were a surgeon, right? Wouldn't you love to do that without having to, have to cut and have to cut anybody open? You could just reach right into them and. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're trying to imagine with this. So that's why that's why I go down a dimension. We can usually imagine two dimensions expanding into three. That we can understand. But trying to think of our three-dimensional universe expanding into a fourth one really leaves your head, <laughs> leaves you scratching your head for the most part. Now, this does other things, not just the expansion, but this also explains a cosmological redshift. If we look at a gravitational redshift, you can also do this to light. As the universe expands and gets bigger and bigger, you draw an example, this time draw the example of a wavelength of light on your balloon and blow it up, that wavelength's going to get longer and longer. So just because the universe is expanding, light waves that were there at the beginning 
have been stretched from very short wavelengths to longer and longer wavelengths. So there's also a redshift that occurs because of the expansion of the universe. Now we're going to look a little bit about, are they difficult to understand? Yeah. Can I picture a four-dimensional universe? No. So don't sit there thinking he's picturing a four-dimensional universe and why can I not see this? You know, it's not something that you can easily grasp. Mathematically, physicists can do it. You can do the calculations are easy enough to well, easy enough to do for a physicist, you know, not something we want to do here. But you, you can do you can do it. It can be calculated and calculate you know, five, six, ten, twelve dimensions, however many you need. But can you really visualize them? Question, sir. Is string theory where we stand on do we believe that? Is that like uh, string no, theory, yeah, it goes up to to some, you can make, if, as long as it makes predictions that we can see, you can. Right. But some of it's difficult theory, to. They said that a string in string theory is about the size of a tree and the universe is the size of an atom. So it's like it's impossible to be able to see that. But is that what we believe right now? Yeah. And that. That would be, but does it make predictions that would, we would be observing the universe? That's the thing. We might not, we'll never be able to observe the string. Oh, sure. But. Does that do things that you could then detect? That's when it starts, and that's still in progress. It's not like it's absolutely confirmed. No. And they said that there's nine different dimensions. No. Ah, I've heard even more than that, I think. Uh, Twelve. Twelve, but some are folded in so you can't yeah. see the difference. Uh, now, now your minds are really going. I can see some of them. Is yeah. Well, uh, back when I was in school, my friend was really into the quantum physics. Mm -hmm. And we watched the YouTube video on the dimensions. What's this the one? It's like it could be all of your decisions if you had made a different decision. You know. Like oh, if you'd made a multiple yeah. multiple universes. So there's a universe where every decision that you ever made was. Yeah. So how many infinite number of universes? Because how many decisions have you made in your lifetime? You know. You decided to take this class. Think what you if you hadn't decided to take this class, you wouldn't be sitting here right now with your. <laughs> But you wouldn't be having as much fun either, right? Okay, good. So, so what we're going to look at is what some of the predictions based on this. We're not going through, I talked to you a little bit about general relativity. We're not going through all the math of general relativity and group theory and all the advanced math that you really need to be able to understand it. So we're not trying to go through all that. But we can look at some of the basics and what it really can tell us. What we can see are the results of what we understand. So what are the results and what kind of predictions does it make and then what kind of observations are we making? So let's look at what the universe can do. Universe has two options as to what it can do. It's expanding, right? We know it's expanding. Hubble measured that. We were able to measure the expansion. So if something is expanding, it can do two things. It can keep expanding forever, never stopping, or it could eventually stop, right? Take the oops, throw the marker on the floor. That's not the example I wanted. If I take the marker and I throw it up in the air, it comes back down. If I were re if I could throw it really, really hard, if I could throw it fast enough, it wouldn't come back down, right? Not that it would stick in the ceiling, but if I could literally launch it away with this with the greater than the escape velocity and get it out of the earth, away from the earth, it would never come back. So we could launch a rocket. We launched Voyager 1, Voyager 2 into space. They've escaped from the Earth. They're not coming back. 
Earth is always pulling on them, always trying to slow them down. But when you get out that far, not much is, not much is happening. So there's two things that the universe could do. If the only force that matters is gravity, gravity is the only force we know of that works on those large distances. There's four main forces of nature. Two of them only work at a subatomic level. They're too weak if you get further out than that. So gravity is the only one that really works on those large distances. So what distances, what's going to happen whether the universe collapses or whether it expands forever depends on how much material there is. Right? How much gravity there is. If there's more material there, it's going to slow down that expansion. Well, it's always going to slow down the expansion. Is it going to slow it down enough to stop it? Right? We launch a rocket into space. If we launch it with a little bit of velocity, it goes up and it comes back down. If we launch it with a little bit more, it gets further away and further away. If we launch it with enough energy, if the universe was initially launched with enough energy, then it expands forever. Never stops. There's not enough gravity to pull everything to stop in an infinite amount of time. Or there could be a lot of material and the universe will expand, reach some maximum size, and then start to collapse back down. So what do we measure? That's what we're going to look at is what those different options are and what are kind of measurements that we make based on this. So here it is in a graphical form. Here we are right now. There's us right there. And we're going one of two ways. Either the universe is expanding and just keeps going. This is time and distance. And the galaxies just keep getting further and further and further and further away at, over time. And eventually, the universe gets really cold, really dark as everything expands outward. Nothing left to form. And there'd be essentially nothing left. You know, would have our galaxy, but all the other galaxies would slowly be moving away from us. And if you could come back tens of billions, hundreds of billions of years from now, all those galaxies would be expanded out so far, they essentially would not be visible. All the stars would be within our galaxy would eventually be dying, and it would be a very cold, dead universe in the end. The other option is that there's enough material to stop that expansion. So if we've got a lot of material, a high density universe, then eventually it gets to some size and those galaxies that are moving away from us, well, all the galaxies are pulling on each other. So as they go away, they're pulling on each other. They're trying to pull each other back. They're slowing each other down. And eventually then they'd stop. You know, like you throw a ball up in the air, it gets to its highest point. It stops for an instant and it starts coming back down. And the universe would then come back in and you'd have all the galaxies then starting out slowly coming towards each other and then faster and faster and faster. And eventually you'd have not a big bang but a big crunch at the end as everything smashed into each other at the very end. So you'd crunch it all together into a giant black hole. Would that mean you'd eventually start another universe? You know, maybe. That's kind of what some of the things she was talking about in the video clip that I showed. That you know, Could there have been a previous universe before the one we have today? So really, it depends on what the density of matter is in the universe. That's what we're coming up to. I won't give you specific numbers, but really, we're looking for that. We're looking for this critical. We're looking for this critical density, and I'll give you some ideas of what that, what the numbers are relative to that. So the options are a closed universe, a flat universe, or an open universe. Question. Yes. 
how can we decide that those are the only three possibilities if out there in space that has all those different dimensions and we don't know what shapes could be out there? Well, no, I'm not giving a specific shape. I'm giving three different. This is really saying what closed universe means that it'll eventually collapse. An open universe will expand forever. And a flat universe will barely. Flat universe is just kind of that borderline case right in between. But it's got to do one of these things. It's either going to expand forever or it's going to collapse. Right? It can't, can't do something in between them. It's going to do one of, one of those or the other. The flat is that case right in between. And that is when the universe expands forever, but just barely. Everything slows down and slows down and slows down. And it stops after an infinite amount of time. So it expands. We love infinities, right? It's just, they get your mind going. It's, imagine it going slower and slower and slower. It just never quite stops. It's going slower and slower. And after a billion years, it's even slower. And after 10 billion years, it's going half that speed. But it's still just barely moving further away. Yeah? If it's going slower, it's eventually going to stop. It's like spinning not the out, wheel. No. And the wheel goes slower, it's but it's not going to. It's always going to go. It's always going to go slower. Well, we're going to turn that around in a, in a little bit, but it should be. If there's gravity, it's always going to slow it down. If I launch a rocket from the Earth, the Earth is always pulling on it, slowing it down. But if I send it fast enough, it's going to get far enough away that the Earth's gravitational force is going to drop faster, and it's not going to be enough force to ever bring it to a stop. Otherwise, we'd never be able to launch a rocket into space. Voyager one would come back, but it won't. It'll keep going forever. It's launched with enough speed and it's far enough away now that the Earth's gravity is so weak. It's still there. It's still pulling on it. But it's not going to ever turn it around. So that's what this means. It just means it just keeps going slower and slower and slower and slower. But as everything's gotten so much bigger, everything's gotten 10 and 100 and 1,000 times bigger and thousands and millions of times further away, the gravitational force is less. So it slows it down only a little bit more, only a fraction of what it slowed at the previous 10 billion years. And then you do that again. It's still getting further away. It's still slowing down slightly, but everything's further away, so the forces have gotten less. So it's going to just barely, it's just going to keep expanding forever. So those are the three options that you can have. It's either collapsing or expanding. Flat is just looking at this little bit in between. And this gives us an idea of what the universe might look like. Depending on which of these, you could have a Closed universe would be something that looked like a sphere. We're going down dimensionally again. We're thinking a sphere, you know, three-dimensional sphere. You've got to imagine a four-dimensional sphere. Okay, gone again, right? But a sphere, flat universe is easy, right? A piece of paper. What's a four-dimensional sphere? A hypersphere. It's a sphere in four dimensions. You expand. It's, easy, it's easier to do with a cube. Do with, do with the square with a line. I can do the idea a little bit easier. That if you take a point and you move it in one direction, you get a line or a line segment. If you take this and move it perpendicular, right? Now you're getting a square. If I take that whole square and move it perpendicular to itself, get a cube. Now take that whole cube and move it perpendicular to itself. You get a hypercube. 
You've got to move it perpendicular. You can't see the direction. That's the problem. You can't see where you have to move that cube to. It's not visible to you. It's in another dimension. But it can be done. You can do the same thing with a sphere. It's just easier to explain in terms of a cube because of the, line, the way the lines work. It would be something completely different. I mean, a hypercube, I can't even draw you a hypercube because I can't draw in four dimensions. That's how I'm trying to draw three, I'll try to draw three dimensions in two, now try to take all that and go up one more. It gets really hard. So that's a sphere. We're going, that's why we're going down a dimension to think about it, because we can comprehend what a sphere is. You just have to imagine our whole universe is stuck to the surface of that sphere. Here, the whole universe is on that piece of paper. And here, it's more of a saddle shape. Saddle shape, one of the other ones you use, you know, a Pringle shape sometimes helps. So Pringle shape, kind of that line that goes out and expands around forever. You know, this, kind, this kind of shape here. So those are the three geometries that the universe can possibly have. And you get different predictions based on what you see there. If you get a sphere, if you get a, let's do the easy one first. Angles, not angels. I can't spell today. Angles equal 180 degrees. That's what you learn in geometry. If you draw a triangle and you measure up all the angles of it, you get 180 degrees, right? If the universe is flat, that's what you get. If the universe is a sphere, you'll get angles greater. The three angles in the triangle add up to more than 180 degrees. Right? You can actually make a triangle with three right angles on the surface of the Earth. Start at the pole, go down to the equator, and if you go 90 degrees here, 90 degrees here and 90 degrees here, you can actually get a triangle where angles add up to 270 degrees instead of 180. When, you, when you're learning geometry, you're learning Euclidean geometry, which is on a flat plane. That's what we're used to studying. So angles always equal 180 degrees, but on a sphere, I can draw a triangle on that sphere but the angles are always going to be greater than 180 degrees. In terms of a saddle shape, determined to get that one wrong, aren't I? Are less than, all the angles are less than 100, the angles add up to less than 180 degrees. So again, giving an idea, trying to give you an idea of what the geometry might look like. You could have a closed universe, which is like being stuck on the surface of a great expanding sphere. All the angles you'd measure if you tried to do a triangle, you know, a big triangle in the universe, you'd get something greater than 180 degrees. If it's flat, you get angles about exactly 180 degrees. If it's open, you get less than 180 degrees. Most measurements put us pretty close to flat in terms of making measurements of the big overall size of the universe. If we count up how much matter is there, the density isn't even close. There's not near enough matter to explain why we have a flat universe. So there's some problems there that astronomers are tri still trying to understand. Closed universe is the cool one, right? It's like walking on the surface of the Earth. Ignore the fact that there's great oceans out there, but if I start walking here and start walking in one direction and keep going in that same direction, I'm going to come right back where I started. So the universe could be the same way if the universe is a closed universe. You could walk, you could travel in a spaceship out in one direction and come back right where you started. 
if the universe is flat or open, you can't do that, right? But it's similar. I mean, that makes sense because you could do that on the Earth, right? You could do, around the, do a flight around the world and you could go in one direction, keep yourself heading exactly due east, and you're going to come up, start in one spot, and you're going to come right back to exactly where you started. You could do the same in the universe. Shine your light beam out, yeah, it's going to come back and hit you in the back. Right? Of course, how long is it going to take? How big is that universe? Does that take 30 billion years for light to travel there? 50, 100 billion years? You know, how long is it that it takes it to do it? And how faint is that light, how powerful of a light beam are you going to need to be able to see over those times? So, what we're really looking for is the density. How dense is the universe? And that's the problem when we measure everything we see, count up all the galaxies, all the clusters of galaxies, and you get things that are about a few percent of the critical density. This is the one that, this is the critical density. If you're exactly at the critical density, that's what you need to just be able to expand forever. If the density is greater than that, then the universe is closed. If the density is less than that, it's open. And if we add up just all of the matter that we see, it's wide open. Our universe is wide open and expanding and there's no chance that it will ever collapse. But I already told you that we, other measurements show us that it's flat. That it looks very flat. So there's some problems here with what we're measuring. Of course, dark matter is one thing, right? We talked about dark matter a little bit. We know that there's a lot of material within galaxies and within clusters of galaxies that we don't see. So that's going to add some of this. But just looking at the visible matter, everything we've studied up till now, you know, the stars, the galaxies, the galaxy clusters, the planets, that makes up you know, only a few percent of what you need to have a closed universe or even a critical, even a critical universe. So what about dark matter? If we take all the dark matter that we see, that we, that we see, all the dark matter that we see, right? All the dark matter that we can measure might be a little bit better way to say it. Enough to keep the galaxy clusters bound together to explain uh, the gravitational lensing, the bending of light that we see by distant galaxies. Well, there's a lot more material there. We might only be at 3 or 4% based on the visible matter, but everything else that has to be there brings us up to about maybe 30% of the critical density, we're still in a wide open universe. You know, if you need $100 to do something, you only got 30, you're not very close, right? So that's essentially what this is. You only got about 0.3 times the critical density, only about 30% of it. You still got a ways to go in order to explain what a lot of the observations seem to show that we are in a very flat universe. So again, there's a, big contra- there's a big contradiction there between the matter that we see, what we see in the universe, the visible matter and the dark matter, and the measurements that are made as to the expansion of the universe and what's going on with it. Because I said, right now it looks like we're right about at this flat. Could go almost either way to one side or the other. Our measurements of the density says we're wide open. Even if we add in all that dark matter, we're wide open. There's not even close to enough material to be able to close, to be able to have the universe begin to collapse. So what else can we have? What else can we have? There's not even close. I mean, all the matter that we need to do that, is there something else going on to really be able to explain the expansion, to explain what we see and what are our measurements together? 
It's going to get even worse. Remember those good type 1 supernovae? White dwarf star blew itself apart, gained too much matter, blew itself apart. They were great for measuring distances. Well, we know that everything is slowing down, right? Everything's expanding outward, and they're pull everything's pulling on each other, so it's got to slow down over time. Right? It's got to be going slower now than it was a billion years ago. Because even maybe it didn't slow it down enough to close it, but it's got to slow it down a little bit because you've got everything pulling on each other. It makes sense, right? It's not what happens. What we're finding by measuring these very distant galaxies is that things are expanding faster now than they were billions of years ago. So not only is the universe expanding, but it's accelerating its expansion. It's expanding faster now than it was 5 billion years ago. That shouldn't happen with gravity. If gravity was the only thing acting, it should slow down. So there's something else going on that is causing these measurements that we're making of supernovae. They've all got to be pretty much the same. We know what the process that creates the type 1 supernovae. So we're really good at measuring, they're really good at measuring distances. Show that things were moving slower in the past and have now accelerated. What's going to cause these things to accelerate? Why should any, I mean, that would be like me throwing the eraser up and instead of it going slower and stopping, that it goes faster and faster and faster. Blast through the ceiling and blast out into space. You know, it doesn't make any reasonable sense to us why it should do that. There's got to be some other force beyond just gravity that would, be ha that would be occurring in order to explain what is observed. Now, this is a simple observation right now. We measure the distances to these galaxies. We measure their speeds. And we find out that they're moving a lot faster now than they were billions of years ago. So we're seeing an acceleration within the universe. All right. So here's the measurements that they're get, astronomers are getting. This is, again, looking at Hubble's constant. This is the distance. This is the velocity. So remember, Hubble's constant was about a straight line. And we looked out here. But as you get further and further out, you'd expect the universe would be decelerating. It would deviate a little bit up towards the top here and you'd show that the universe was slowing down. All the little dots are measurements that have been made. There's one or two that are on the decelerating size, but look where the vast majority of them there. It really looks like then that the universe is accelerating, that it was moving a lot slower in the past and is moving even faster now than it otherwise should have. So most of the measurements that have been made, all these little dots here, you know, that one, that one, are on the decelerating size. You know, the other 20 or so are all on the accelerating side. So the universe is accelerating. So right now the universe is accelerating. It's getting, it's getting up, moving apart. Not only are the galaxies moving apart, we know they're expanding, but they're expanding faster now than they were a billion years ago, or two billion years ago, or 10 billion years ago. They're moving faster and faster. The images there are just looking at some of these uh, supernovae. Galaxy before, there's the supernova that went off that allows us to measure the distance by getting that brightness. Galaxy supernova, galaxy, and the supernova that allows us to get these type of measurements. So the universe is accelerating. It's moving faster and faster over time. So how do we explain this? Well, what is being used now to explain why the universe looks so flat because our measurements show it that it looks very flat, but we don't have enough matter there, is 
there is a, what we call a vacuum pressure. There is a pressure that pushes the material, that pushes the universe for expansion. And that's what is called dark energy. So we have regular matter. That's everything we really studied in the class pretty much up till now. I brought in some dark matter. We talked about dark matter in terms of you know, explaining how the galaxies move, how the galaxy, stars move within the galaxy, how galaxies move within a cluster. In order to explain the expansion of the universe that we see, we have to introduce something else which we call dark energy. There's where we are right now, right, as everything is all lined up. And what do we see? Well, <coughs> this, the cosmological constant, is a number in Einstein's equations that depending on the exact value of it, how negative or how positive it is, tells you that not only is the universe going to expand, but it could expand forever. That's where we're getting right now. The universe expands forever. If you make that constant big enough, it's a natural part of Einstein's equations. That constant could be anything. So you can put almost any number. When you solve uh, certain types of equations, you end up with a constant. And it could be anything. So there could be some number there. Trying to determine what it is is the good, uh, fun part that explains that the universe just expands forever. If you had a negative value for it, then the universe would recollapse. Our measurements right now are showing us way out here, not only showing that we're expanding, but that we're expanding at an increasing rate. And dark energy is the current explanation for that. And again, I've mentioned with other things, you know, maybe there's something else that could explain this. Maybe there's another theory of gravity and motion that would explain everything that we see today. Can discuss black holes, can discuss you know, planets orbiting the sun and galaxies, stars orbiting the galaxy. But on bigger scales, universe size scales, works differently than Einstein's. So maybe there is some other way to explain this. But we've yet to find the case where Einstein doesn't work. Other than at the quantum level, which it does not mesh with. But on large scales, we have not been able to find something where it does not work. So until then, we now use dark energy as being most of the matter slash energy of the universe. If the universe looks flat and 3% of it or so was visible matter, normal matter, and the rest was another, they got up to about 30% with dark matter, that means 70% of the matter and energy in the universe is this dark energy. Everything that we see. And that's where we're heading, heading now. Now, going back to look at the early universe, this was the first evidence for the Big Bang. I'm going to come back to a little bit of this, and we'll talk about this on Friday a little more. But the cosmic microwave background was one of those uh, accidental discoveries. So wasn't planned. They didn't go out looking for it. Predictions were made that it should exist. But these astronomers weren't, look, weren't looking for it. Uh, this is Penzias and Wilson, the two astronomers who did this. Uh, measure, did these measurements. But really what they were trying to do, they have their great radio telescope back here. This is a horn-shaped telescope, so a big collector here. And then the radio waves are funneled into the back there. And they were just trying to get rid of all the noise. They were trying to find all the sources of noise that they could to get the most accurate measurements. So I just clean out the thing, clean out the, clean it out because of course birds like to use it, right? And that messes up the shape of your horn, right? If birds decide to use it as their bathroom or nest or anything in it, you got to get all that cleaned out. And what they found was that they got rid of a lot of noise. They could get rid of that. They could count for certain features on the Earth, 
or in the sky. They could account for some things. But there was another little bit of noise that they could not get rid of. Wasn't on the Earth. They could measure, but it came from no matter where they pointed in the sky, it was always the same. Didn't matter what time of day it was, it was always the same. What they were finding was they were finding the little remnants of what was left over of the Big Bang. So when the Big Bang went off, massive explosion, created a lot of high energy gamma rays, and those, remember our balloon stretching? Those gamma rays stretching over 15, 14 billion years have now stretched out to radio waves. At one point, the universe was extremely bright in gamma rays. They're still there. They've just been stretched out into radio waves. That's a prediction of the Big Bang theory that they were able to, that these, that these gentlemen were able to discover back in the 1960s. Being able to detect this noise coming from everywhere. No matter where they looked in the universe, it was exactly the same. They looked out this way, they measured it. You could measure some, some amount of this little bit of noise left over. Measure this direction, you got exactly the same. Whatever direction they measured in the sky, they were getting exactly the same measurements. Let me see what's next. We're about out of time here. Let me just show you this here and we'll pick up here on Friday. When these were created, what they're detecting was about one second after the Big Bang. So at that time, that's a lot of energy, a lot of material in one space. You had all these gamma rays. What would have happened over time is those would have slowly stretched out. So that after 100,000 years, here the universe was bright in gamma rays. After 100,000 years, the universe was infinitely bright. All these, all these gamma rays were all visible light. So to us, if you could have been around at 100,000 years after the Big Bang, it would have been visible light photons flooding the entire universe. Over 10 million years, it stretched down to infrared. Until today, it stretched out into the radio. And that's what we can measure, and we can measure this spectrum. We can actually measure this extreme with extreme precision. And when I show you that next time, you'll see that it's so much more accurate than other measurements that we have made. I mean, it's really precise, the measurements that have been made here. So I will pick up here on Friday, and we will finish, finish up 17. And I have a couple things to go over on 18 that I, that I want to talk about. Do not forget if you want, uh, if you're turning in solar observations project, don't forget to get it to me online by 6 o'clock. And I will try to look at those starting tomorrow. And hopefully, I'll have the articles back for you on Friday. And I should hopefully at least get started on these. So you'll have grades up. If not Friday, you'll have at least grades up for them this weekend. Questions?